We're finishing up our Advent series this morning on the humble beginnings of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. And we're at the tail end of the Christmas story. So far at the end that we're probably like, this doesn't even count as a Christmas passage. And that's fair. But I want us to see how Matthew chooses to end his Christmas section of the Gospels. That chapters 1 and 2 are very much the beginnings of Jesus. Chapter 3, we have fast-forwarded nearly 30 years. And so this is how he brings it to the end. And I want us to look at how God's ways are different from our ways. That's what I want on our minds as we hear the word today from Matthew Chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. You can find it printed out in your bulletins. You may also use your own Bibles or the Pew Bibles. It's the very end of Matthew chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. Hear the word of God. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, we give thanks for your word. We thank you that on this Christmas morning we can turn to your word and hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that we can hear, O God, how you are good and your love endures forever. And God, I pray that you would use me in spite of my sin and weakness to faithfully proclaim your word. And Spirit, I ask that you would go forth in the power of your word and that you would go and give us open ears to hear what you say this morning, O God. Open our hearts and minds to receive your word. May we be fertile soil so that your word may fall like the snow outside and bring nourishing life to us, transforming us to be people of faith who love to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. So the big question I want us thinking about as we look at our passage this morning is, are we ashamed of God's humble and patient ways? Are we ashamed of the way that God does things? And I want to highlight how different God's ways are from ours by looking at the method, the location, and the timing of how he sent Jesus. And so the first example of God's ways being different deals with God's method. Our passage begins by telling us that Herod died. And that reminds us why Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were in Egypt. An angel had previously warned them to flee to Egypt where they would be safe from Herod. And now the angel tells Joseph, hey, he's dead. Safe to come back. We don't know how long they were in hiding in Egypt. It was certainly months, if not years. And if we didn't know what came next in the story, we might assume that Joseph and Mary would bring Jesus to Jerusalem. 
and present the Messiah to the religious leaders at the temple. Present him to the new king, Archelaus, and they would gladly welcome this young Messiah returning to Israel. We could imagine an alternate reality with a kind of Palm Sunday, but instead of a donkey and an adult Jesus, it's a stroller and a three-year-old Jesus coming into town rejoicing that he is here. That's not what happens, though. Jesus goes from hiding in Egypt to hiding in Israel. Joseph heard that one of Herod's sons, Archelaus, was reigning in place of his wicked father, and he was afraid to go in that region of the country because he was worried the apple didn't fall too far from the tree. Now, just so we're sure that Joseph was not acting disobediently, Matthew tells us that these fears were confirmed in yet another dream. In other words, God approved the hiding plan. He did not want Jesus in danger. He wanted to keep his son safe. And that may be how we would act in that kind of situation. But that's usually not how we want our heroes to act. We want our heroes to brave the dangers and fight the bad guys. We expect our heroes to use heroic methods. We want Joseph to recruit an army of loyal followers and holy warriors who will defend the Messiah and vanquish Archelaus and all of Herod's wicked family. That is what we expect from heroes. And if you don't believe me, look to the movies. That's what you do. One of the most popular kinds of movies out there are the revenge movies. You see Keanu Reeves and John Wick just mowing people down. You see Liam Neeson in Taken getting revenge for those who kidnapped his family. Over and over again, the heroes take action. They fight back and they get revenge. That's what you do. You don't even have to look to the movies. Look to politics. We expect our elected officials to verbally fight back, to make strongly worded statements. And we want our party to own the other side and slam them. We don't want people who are quiet, who hide from conflict. We want people who retaliate, who fight back. Because hiding is seen as weakness. And God's like, yeah, go hide in Nazareth. He challenges our expectations of how heroes should work. He goes and hides in Nazareth. And speaking of Nazareth, that gets to the second example of God's ways being different from our ways. We expect important people to come from important places. That if you want to be a big deal, if you really want to get stuff done, go find a position of power. Go to New York City. Washington, D.C. Get plugged in at an important institution. You could even find biblical support for that. Moses grew up in the Egyptian palace. Samuel, we are told, lived in the temple. Even John the Baptist's dad was a priest in Jerusalem. That's not how God worked with Jesus, though. The promised Messiah grew up in Nazareth. And that might not mean a whole lot to you, but Nazareth was a despised location. That if Bethlehem was like Virginia, with a heritage of well-known, important leaders like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, then Nazareth had a reputation like New Jersey, 
the armpit of America. Or maybe Nazareth was like the Nevada desert, where you can be over a hundred miles away from the nearest McDonald's restaurant, just out in the middle of nowhere. Who wants to live in a place like that? We read something along these lines in the Gospel of John. That a man named Philip met Jesus and believed he was the Messiah. And so he ran to tell his friend Nathaniel, Hey, we found the promised one. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's his reaction. You didn't expect important people to come from some place like that. From a small, desolate, rural community in the remote parts of Israel. It was a good place to hide, but not to be important. Later in his life, we see that the religious leaders were skeptical of Jesus and his followers. They looked down on these men from the region of Galilee. They had weird accents. They talked different. They accused Jesus and looked down on him because he didn't go to the right schools and the right cities. Jesus didn't meet the expectations of how someone important would be raised. We can have similar expectations when it comes to where people are from. As we saw last night with the wise men, we can be skeptical of foreigners because we don't think they know as much as we do. We can look down on those who come from the bad parts of town or from difficult family backgrounds, and we may not expect much of them. We can also do the opposite. We can doubt those who come from wealthy and influential families, assuming they're stuck up and don't know how to work hard. We make a lot of assumptions about people based on their location and background. But God works how He wants to work, often breaking our expectations. And He did that by having His Son grow up in this reviled little village of Nazareth. And that word Nazareth seems pretty important in the last verse of our passage and the third example of how God's ways are different from our ways. Here's what verse 23 says. It says, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, a few things need to be said about this. First, there is no specific scripture in the entire Old Testament that says anything like, he shall be called a Nazarene. You're not going to find it. It's not there. That might be why Matthew is saying that this was fulfilled by the prophets, plural, as opposed to a prophet, specifically singular. And so Matthew might be thinking about a general prophetic theme or idea that this Messiah would be a Nazarene. And you're like, okay, well, that's the second thing. What's a Nazarene? What is that? Well, for starters, it's not a Nazarite. A Nazarite was a person who took a specific vow not to drink wine, not to cut your hair, and not to touch dead bodies. It's a really weird set of vows, but it's in the Bible. It's there. Samson is the most famous example of a Nazarite. John the Baptist was also likely a Nazarite, but a Nazarite is not a Nazarene. So what is a Nazarene? Well, it's someone from Nazareth. Why on earth would it be a theme of prophecy that this guy, this promised one, is supposed to come from Nazareth? Well, it could be that Nazareth is merely representative of a despised location. 
Because there are many places in the Old Testament where it says that though the Messiah is important, he will be despised and looked down upon. But it seems like Matthew's going for something a little more specific. You see, the word Nazareth uses almost exactly the same Hebrew letters as the Hebrew word for branch, as in tree branch. And so Nazareth, you could think of it as branch town or branchburg, since we're around Pittsburgh. And there is a prophetic theme of a branch connected to the Messiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 11 says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jesse was the father of King David, and the promise in Isaiah 11 is that a descendant from Jesse and David's family tree would be the Messiah. But after Israel and Judah fell, it seemed like that great family tree had been chopped down, and it was just a dead stump. But the promise was a branch, a better branch, would grow out of this seemingly dead stump. And so being a Nazarene may mean that this child would be a kind of branch, the fulfillment of that branch prophecy. Okay, but what does that tell us about God's ways? Well, as I talked about in the children's message, plants take time to grow, especially trees. It takes time for trees to bear fruit. We usually want God to act now, but God takes time. God heard the cries of his people in slavery in Egypt, and he sent them Moses, who was a baby. And Moses took a long time to grow up. He wouldn't save people for decades. And the same was true of Jesus, that the Savior had come, but he was still in diapers by the time he moved to Nazareth. He needed time to grow. So in sending this branch boy, God was rejecting our fast-paced schedules. Unwilling to work at our high speeds like we like our internet. Instead, he prefers to work in his own perfect timing. And for Jesus to be fully human, it meant he had to go at human speed. And we only got one speed. One day at a time. God didn't somehow feed his Messiah miracle grow to make him grow up quick. He was unhurried in his saving plan. And that's because when God does things, he always does it at just the right time. That's what we read in our New Testament reading from Galatians 4. Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, that at just the right moment in history, God sent Jesus. He sent him in just the right way, in just the right place, at just the right time. Surely, if God had presented his saving plan to us ahead of time, we would have sat there like, huh, this part here, like you could speed that up, maybe do this a little different. We would have had so many edits for God if he had said, what do you think of this saving plan? And yet, God is infinitely wiser than we are. His saving plan with Jesus may have taken longer than we would have liked. It may not have the flash and the prestige that we would desire from our heroes. But God did it just right with Jesus. And so our question for today is, are we ashamed 
of God's humble and patient ways. We may not like how God chooses to work in His wisdom. We may begrudge God His patience. We may turn up our noses at the humble methods He chooses. But God works in His own ways, and His ways are always good. That's how He works through us as a church today. He works through a spiritual kingdom of exiles. His location where He chooses to work is the local church. And His timing is slow. Measured in generations, not days. And we are not called to fight back in earthly ways like Moses sinfully did in murdering that man. We pray for our enemies and those who persecute us. We repay no one evil for evil. We only fight with the truth against the lies of the world and against the false teachers who twist the truth within our body. Are we ashamed that God chooses those ways to work today? Because God works similarly in us as individuals as well. His method to work in us is a steady diet of the Word and prayer. That's how He works. The location where He works is our hearts. Inward change. Inward change that changes most and grows most through suffering and hard times. And His timing is often way slower than we would like. We are not given immediate holiness like it's a superpower. We don't suddenly stop sinning when we become a believer in Jesus. Our lives don't instantly become easy and comfortable. Are we ashamed of the humble and patient ways that God chooses to work? Or do we see God's goodness and His wisdom in them? You see, trusting in God's ways and loving God's ways comes from trusting and loving God Himself. And we are called to wait and to trust in His ways. That just as His people had to wait a long time for the Messiah to come and then wait some more for Him to grow up, so we are still waiting for Jesus to return and make all things new. And we pray, come soon, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Oh God, we pray that You would please work in us in Your ways. May we not try to fast-track holiness and spiritual growth. May we not ignore the ways in which you slowly work in us. May we be able to rejoice and look back over long periods of times at the way in which you have grown us slowly, like an apple tree growing slowly over time. May we see the increase of fruit year after year in our lives as the Spirit works in us. May we see that not just in us individually as believers, but also as a church family. And may we rejoice and trust in your methods, trust in your ways, knowing that just as surely as you have done great things through Jesus on earth before, so you continue to work in and through us in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.